Okay, let's get to it. It's going to be the Source Material Comics Podcast coming back at you. This time, we're going to be talking the Kaiju score. Uh, so this was written by James Patrick, uh, art by Rem Brew, and lettered by Dave Sharp. Cover date, November of 2020. I think this is a four-issue series. And uh, joining me tonight to talk about the Kaiju score, it is one Mark Radlich. Mark Radlich, you ready to talk some Kaiju score, sir? I am. I'm really excited about this. I've been wanting to talk about this book for a long time. Yeah, this was another one of those ones you picked up and you were like, hey, which ones look good? This one stood out to me because I'd heard about it for a little while prior to you even picking it up. And I was really surprised to see it in the uh, <laughs> in the pile that I sent you. James Patrick is a writer that actually lives just across the river in West Virginia. <laughs> in a van down by the river. <laughs> I think he lives in, I'm pretty sure it's a nice house. Fairly certain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd seen James at conventions around here for, a, you know, quite a while. He had wrote a couple very famous comics for DC. He did a independent book called Death Comes to Dillinger. Kaiju score started getting some real press. Like a lot of people were talking about it. And then I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's been optioned for a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, by the way, this might be one of the most cinematic comics I've ever read. Like, if I've ever read something that, like, naturally, just the way it is, fits into a, a comic that naturally fits as a movie, it's Kaiju Score. Like, right, was, dude. this almost feels like this started out as a movie screenplay, kind of like the um, that wrestling book that we did uh, a year ago that uh, we got the we actually got the writer on for. His name is now escaping me, but it feels like. Like it feels like a script that was adapted into a screen into a comic that's now being readapted back into a movie. Right. I'll tell you, um, one of the things I really one of the things that I like that like as far as like movie genres and stuff, I like a good heist movie. I love Gone in Sixty Seconds. I know that's about like stealing cars. Uh, the Oceans movies, I love those. Like I think it was last year, the Dave Batista zombie movie where you know it was almost Army a of the year Dead. ago. Yeah, Army of the Dead. Like, I, I was excited for that because I love a good heist movie and I love, like, different takes on heists. I love watching movies about, like, the planning of, like, big jobs and stuff. That's why, like, at least the first Ocean's movie I was really into. And that's what this is. This is a take. I, I was I was actually like, telling my wife about it today uh, when I read it. I was like, I read this book. It's one of, like, my favorite comics ever. It has all the things in it that I want. It's, like, nearly perfect in my opinion. And I understand, like, this is not going to... Like, wow, this is not God Loves Man Kills. I'm not saying it has, like, a tremendous amount of gravitas. I'm saying, like, the story was perfect. Like, and I said, like, the whole thing is they're going to do a snatch and grab. They're going to they're gonna rob this muse- this uh, gallery for these like, million-dollar paintings in the middle of a kaiju attack. Yeah. And yeah. the kaiju attack is the big distraction. It's like, while this kaiju is attacking, they will have the perfect conditions to get into this gallery, steal these paintings, and get out again. Right. And then it's a you know, and then it's just about, and then there's all this additional tension because one of the people in the group is not who she says she is, and then they're then they have a mob boss enforcer who's fucking with them, and of course everyone's betraying everybody, and the whole thing goes to plaid, and it's you know it's the the flash villain, uh, Captain Cold, you know, make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw the plan out entirely. <laughs> I, I love those movies. <laughs> I love those yeah. books, and so like Kaiju score, 
is just perfect. I, I, I loved every every page of it. Well, I'll hop into the synopsis here real quick, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about what we've really enjoyed. But yeah. here we go. In our first issue, we meet the players, the man with the plan, Marco, who has a reputation for coming up with a great plan, but sometimes missing a detail, causing it to fall apart. Gina, the genius safecracker who gets killed immediately and is replaced by Michelle, pretending to be Gina. Palmero, the man with the tools to get things done, with the unfortunate disposition of being branded as bad luck on every heist, resulting in something always going wrong. <laughs> then there's Pearson, the hired overbearing muscle put in place by the man bankrolling the job, assigned to make sure the heist goes as planned, even if it means threatening to kill the other members. Now the plan? Just like Mark said, to steal one of the most valuable curated art collections from a Miami museum during a kaiju landfall. Can they pull it off without falling victim to the destructive force that is Mujara, the kaiju? More importantly, can the thieves coexist long enough to get away with the loot? The greatest, most dangerous heist takes place in kaiju score. So this kaiju is going to be making landfall. And of course, it's just going to be nothing but chaos, right? Well, the thing that you learn is that as, as we're following along with Marco, uh, he's been planning for this all along. He's been trying to figure out, okay, how do kaiju feed? When can it be expected to happen? What happens when a kaiju makes landfall? The book does a great job of kind of letting you know what to expect. But of course, you know something's going to go wrong. I think the thing that stands out to me is Marco's desperation to try to prove himself. When you're writing a screenplay, the thing they teach you in screenplay class is what makes today different than any other day. This guy's on his ass. Nobody will give him any money. If he doesn't pull this job off, he's done. He's oh, probably yeah. going to die. He this is, this is the last-ditch effort to pull himself out of the tailspin, Maverick. And <laughs> and so, every, so there's that sense of desperation. Everything has to work. And then you have Gina, who or Michelle, who's who's taken over the basically she's yeah she's impersonating her yeah and but she but she and there's a desperation for her too this has to be successful or she can't get her team she can't pay the ransom for her team and then you have the villain of this thing which is the enforcer the babysitter pearson yeah you know who is in no way supportive is actively working against the team at at the end like stabs marco (laughs) like you know he kills another guy on the team and he's like every single babysitter gets involved in one of these jobs ends up dead either by accident or because they they fucked up and the boss and the the mob boss kills him so he's like i'm just gonna take the money and go (laughs) like i'm I'm, I'm done here so it has all the great cinematic elements of a well-told story it has all the dramatic tension that you need to keep it invested like I, this was a real page turner for me. And I, and again, the job itself was a lot of fun too, because he had to know what the kaiju was, what it was going to do. And then, you know, it, it kind of reminded me, but in a good way of Godzilla 2014, where Godzilla's barely on screen. Mm-hmm. So the whole book is called Kaiju Score, but it's about this heist. The kaiju is sort of like an antecedent to the story. It's just kind of in the background. The, uh, the kaiju is essentially a, a big giant distraction so that they have this window to, to steal some shit. Yeah, everybody's got to evacuate. Everybody's got to yeah. get out of there. And it's just... the cameras are off. Like, you know, I'm a thinker and I like movies with characters who are thinkers and like trying to like, you know, I talk about this with Batman. You know, I, I don't like punchy ninja Batman like everyone else likes. I like a Batman who has to think through his problems and figure things out and solve mysteries. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that they wrote Marco as this really thoughtful person who's, you know, coming up with ideas for, you know, and trying to work through problems. Like, if this happens and this happens, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's how we're going to be successful. And then, like, when the plan goes off the rails, he has to adapt and change things. And so 
He's an easy character to identify with. He's an easy character to, on the occasion you have to cheer for a character who's, you know, stealing things. He's an easy character to want to see be successful. Like he's not written kind of like as a douchebag. I was pulling for Marco the whole time. You know, I want him to try and succeed. And then the other kaiju shows up (laughs) and there's about to be a fight in Miami. And he's like, oh, shit, what do we do now? Things have got to we've still got to try and get this loot out of here. One of the big unexpected things that happens in this book is the other kaiju showing up and we have basically a kaiju fight when all he was expecting this kaiju to do initially was just go and lay down and go to sleep mm-hmm. in Miami and then get up and leave. But no, we ha- we have <laughs> just just fuck off. <laughs> yeah, they, they just go around it and they, they'd be good. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I really liked about the first issue was kind of like the back matter of the book. Like after you read the issue, it will then kind of give you an idea of like what to do if a kaiju comes ashore. The signs and stuff, know your watches and warnings. Like if there's a kaiju watch and a kaiju warning. Right. It's fun. It's kind of the monster verse where like we've now had so many of these. We've got, you know, this isn't Pacific Rim. You know, right. where the monsters are have caused near the near dis- extinction of the human race. This is more of the monster verse where they've learned to live with the monsters. And there's an entire black market that develops around it. Like this is not now part of the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like when hur- it's like hurricane season in Florida. Like, oh, here comes the kaiju. Everyone get out, you know, get right. out of New Orleans. That's the way I looked at it. I was like, this is very much like a uh, if a hurricane came. What would you do? There's like four or five pages dedicated to this at the end of this first book, which is, you know, talking about some of the myths, what to do, what the differences are, some of the statistics. And it's put together in a way that I usually am not a fan of like the uh, a bunch of crap at the end of a book. But this was kind of like helpful and also like, okay, this puts you in that world. This puts you in like, okay, what do these people do when this when this kind of thing happens? Pearson, the enforcer, the, you know, muscle. What a dick. Would you agree? Pearson's a douchebag. If, you, if you're looking for a villain that you actively want to see get killed by a kaiju, he's good. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah. he really I mean, is. like, again, he is actively working against the team the entire time and being a douchebag. All, like, he's not even hiding it. He's like, I, he, he's like constantly provoking Marco. He's like Robert Winfrey, but kind of an asshole. Like, he's just like, everything sucks. Nothing is going to work. This is all bad. I don't want to be here. Right. He did not want to be there. Not at all. Uh, one Love of you, things... Robert, by the way. You're not a douchebag. <laughs> that is correct. You were not a douchebag, sir. Palmero and his bad luck. Uh, you know, you just, you're, this is another character that you're kind of rooting for. This guy who's always had bad luck on the heist. And you're like, okay, can he make it through this without anything going wrong for him? And he's just he's trying to work through that. He just wants one job where it can go okay, uh, and it doesn't. Of course, he ends up becoming a victim to Pearson at one point. Each one of these people, these four people, have these distinct personalities. You wonder how they can work together because that's, again, an element of the heist film. Get everybody together. The Ocean's 11, the Ocean's 12, the Ocean's 13. Can we get everybody together to work together to achieve one goal? Yeah, the the other note that I had here is things go from bad to worse. I mean, it's already worse when you got two kaijus fighting, but when Pearson decides to go off script and do his own thing and goes into business for himself yeah. uh, and he proves he's a murderous scumbag, it just kind of goes it goes south from the, there. 
I like I also like the fact that there's no like really foppish or like there's no there's no annoying characters in this. So even like the one guy that gets killed who I think they're calling like Rabbit's Foot at one point, like he stands up for himself eventually. Like after a while he's like, Stop calling me names, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's all I needed out of you. And right. he, ends up get, he ends up getting killed anyway. But you know, like, like there's always like a like a Marlon Wayans kind of a character you just wanna like, you know, just wanna push into with a fiery lava of mount doom because they're just so annoying like they're they're there for comic effect like i can see in the movie like jonah hill's gonna play that character oh yeah and he's gonna be obnoxious about it you know the four issues for this series are, is just perfect i mean i I'm, I'm so glad that they kept it at four issues i didn't think we needed more i don't think we needed less i think it, that was the perfect amount of issues to get oh yeah no this was this was a nice tight script this right. had everything we need. Like, obviously, if you do the movie version of this, the actual action sequences will be longer. So, like, think like The Matrix or something. You know, you have that long, long chase scene on the bridge where there's no dialogue, and that's just a long action sequence. You know right. what I mean? Or like any like the fight thing. So, like, the, the driving around on the ATVs and stuff like that. You know, when they pull the the entire bit where they have to adapt and use the cables from the museum to uh, pull the safe to them so that they can crack it because they don't have enough time. The, the, the bit at the end where, because the kaiju is going into the sea, it's going to cause a flood, which I thought was brilliant, by the way. Like, you know, when you think about like Pacific Rim or Godzilla, there's never really given a lot of thought to how a large mass like that affects will the affect environment. the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Affects the environment all, around it. All anyone cares about is watching Godzilla, like wreck, you know, wreck another animal, wreck, wreck another uh, kaiju. Oh, you know, or wreck buildings or whatever. Like Godzilla versus Kong, was all about just watching the two monsters fight each other. And yeah, you know, they did sort of that Man of Steel-esque type of destruction, but, it, you know, you never really look at, like, the human cost of these things, because no one gives a shit. You know, but I, I thought that was kind of a brilliant thing to focus on. It's like, if an animal that size suddenly goes into the water, wouldn't it cause, like, a giant tidal wave? Right, right. Like, like wow, that's actually really thoughtful and brilliant. And they're smart. And yeah, they're smart enough to take that into account. I also like the fact that, you know, it wasn't just two mindless beasts. Like, you know, you get to know the kaijus through Marco's, like, loving description of them. Like, mm -hmm. He's really studied these things, and he has respect for them, which I think is also good. They're not just like, okay, we're going to do this, you know, when these two animals are there, and, like, like, who cares about them? Like, he, like, has a genuine interest in the one kaiju. Again, four issues in a comic, this was perfect. But in the movie, that scene where he's, like, taking the picture with the thing is going to be longer than just one panel. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You're even invested in the battle of the kaijus. Right. That, the way yeah. this is written. Like, you're invested on who's going to win in that, and that doesn't need to happen, they feel but it's like, there. They feel like people, Jesse. <laughs> very, very large people. Yes. Uh, I did want to shout out, like, at one point, uh, Gina, or Michelle, which, yeah, she gets found out because I think Pearson sees Those that. her roots. Her roots right? were showing. Die in black. Black number one. Did you see that in issue two that actually happened so there's a point in issue two where uh her and uh what's his face pearson are, get, are going to get into it he's got a mm -hmm. knife up to her face and yeah. she he's he's got like a knife on her hair mm -hmm. uh what does he say here you should be nice to to me ball breaker i got the green light to cut throats if i if i even see one hair out of place and he's got his knife in his in her hair and right there you can see the black roots that he's talking about Right. So that is that happens in the comic. I remember when I read it, I was like, did they actually do something like that? And sure enough. So that was in place. You would have had no idea until he talked about it like an issue or two later. 
but it was already in place in the panels in the previous issues, which is pretty cool. That's that's actually yes. given it some thought. You could have just said that and and been like, oh, okay. But they actually show it, uh, so they they established that, yeah, okay, she definitely had dyed hair, and you could see it when she was he was up close. This will be a, a very good movie if it's done right. The- but who do you think? We should, like, I'm trying to think of like who's directed some like really good heist movies of late. That would be good for because you want somebody like that. You want somebody with like I'm thinking like Guy Ritchie. Okay. I think Guy Ritchie knocks this out of the park. Okay. So Guy Ritchie, known for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, okay. Snatch, Moving Down, Revolver, Rock and Roller, the Sherlock Holmes movies, The Man from Uncle, King Arthur, Aladdin, The Gentleman, Wrath of Man. Wrath of Man was a good movie. I like that. Yes, one. that was like that. Was, if you remember, that's one of the few that of last year that Robert and I gave like a glowing review to. Yeah. That was um, right. He has a movie that's currently in post-production that was supposed to come out already, but I guess they had to like pull it back for reshoots or whatever. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Gure. So, like, I don't know what what I think he's working on something now, it looks like. And I guess he's got a Hercules. Oh, he's he, they, they, they tapped him for uh, Hercules, the, the reboot of the live action adapt, adaption of Hercules for Disney. But, yeah, I think uh, I think Guy Ritchie's the guy. OK, well, here, I'll read you some heist movies, popular heist movies. You tell me. Okay. If you've seen them, what you thought of them. So we talked about Army of the Dead already, yep. uh, which right we there. We do not need fucking Zack Snyder touching. Zack Snyder with two and a half hours worth of. No, just move on. Uh, no, I'm as the producer of this movie, as the studio executive, I'm saying no to Zack Snyder. Right now, my guy's Guy Ritchie. You got okay. you got to piss me people that are you got to pitch me. And I'm going to tell you if they're better than Guy Ritchie or not, because right now Guy Ritchie's getting this project. OK, you have to have a director that can handle like big set pieces. Right, environmental like, to, elements. Yeah. And I'm trying to find something that would do that. What about Guillermo del Toro? Okay. So he did Pacific Rim. So you know he can handle like yeah, big set pieces. Big stuff, movies. right. But, you know, but I think he's competent enough to where he can handle the nuance of pulling off like a big heist movie. So me, so still not better than Guy Ritchie. I'm still that's that's still where my head is. That's where you're going to stick. Yeah, but uh, if I had if I had to pick somebody else, maybe Guillermo. Okay. Not Michael Bay. Yeah, I I don't want to. I wouldn't say that either. Gosh darn man, there isn't really a whole. A lot of it's all like simple kind of stuff. Right. Uh, who so who directed Ant Man? Well, that was also that was first Edgar Wright until he got yeeted off the project. Okay. Um, and then I think it was like uh, Peyton something or other. Hang on, Peyton Reed. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, what else has Peyton Reed done? I'm looking that up right now. <laughs> he worked on the Back to the Future uh, show. On the Back to the Future. Oh my God! Oh my God! So Pate, so Peyton Reed has directed the following films, right? He did. He's doing all three. Ant, he has done the previous two, and he's doing the next Ant Man movie. He's also done Yes Men, The Breakup, Down with Love, and Bring It On. But here's what he's worked on in television. Are you ready for this? Back to the Future, The Love Bug, The Weird. Now Alex it show. says it says 13 <laughs> episodes, live action sequences. So I wonder if that was him. Basically, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the live action sequences. It had Doc Brown. Doing mm-hmm. some goofy stuff, so interesting. Okay. Around, spinning in a circle in his fucking lap. <laughs> he directed two episodes of The Mandalorian. The Weird Al Show. He did 13 episodes yeah. of The Weird Al Show. His sister show with Bob and David and the Upright Citizens Brigade. See, I don't see. I don't want this to do too much of a comedy, though. Right, that's what this would steer towards. Yeah, no, 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 no. He, so far, Guy Ritchie's still getting this. Yeah, <laughs> I can't argue with that. I'm, so I'm currently on Rotten Tomatoes looking at, like, the 88 best heist movies. Okay. Ooh, let's see. Is Brian De Palma still working? He directed one of the Mission Impossible movies. Ooh. 
Ooh. Uh, that was a while ago. I don't even know if he's. Oh, you know who would be good? He is 81 um, years old. He did one. He did a couple of the Fast and Furious movies, and he just did Malignant. James Wan. James, I James Wan. I bet James I, Wan would actually do well with this. How about F. Gary Gray? He did the Italian job, and he did a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that seems to kind of gone in 60 seconds to me. So F. Gary Gray has a movie coming out called Lift. Before that was Men in Black International. Before that was The Fate of the Furious, Fate which was the Furious. which was the eighth one. F. Um, Twenty seventeen. I I want to say that's the one with the Rock. I made like a billion dollars. He did Straight Out of Compton, The Sea of Trees, Law Abiding Citizen, Be Cool, A Man Apart, The Italian Job, The Negotiators, Set It Off, and Friday, motherfucker. Oh, I got it. Tell okay. me. Based on a movie he's already directed that is the 18th, is number 18 on the 88 best heist movies of all time. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Re- Refin. Done. Nope. We're out of just, here. You saw Drive and you <laughs> made a hasty and ignorant decision. No, I see, I see it in my mind's eye now. It's Kaiju score, but instead of wherever stupid city this is in, it's in Paris. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> no. Refn. All right, we're done with this bit. We got it. No, no. Kaiju no. score directed by Refin. I guess the only other question I really have about this, we, we both really enjoyed this book. This isn't bloated in any way. This is tight. It gets your point across. You have characters that you can, at least are characters. And it's good that they establish those people in such a short amount of time and make it and keep it that interesting. Um, so kudos. I mean, yeah, James Patrick did a fine job of writing a story here. And I think there is a second one out right now. What is the sequel called? How Let me say, while, while you're looking for this, I mean, you know, you and I did a long stretch of comic book reviews together. We went a couple of years before. I, I mean, I think COVID is what killed it. But, you know, you had you were done a fairly decent job of rotating your guests. And then I kind of just took over the schedule. And then because I took over the schedule, I just became like the permanent co-host to. Um, and then I took then I took it over when you had to stop podcasting right. for a while. Because I wasn't really necessarily selecting good books, I was just selecting stuff that went along with whatever we were talking about that particular week. There was definitely a long stretch of, eh, it's okay. <laughs> In the future, when you hear his talk about um, uh, Lieutenants of Metal, and that was another one where I was like, yeah, it was fine. You know, I, I was amused by it. And like we tried to pull some good content out of that. But, you know, sometimes like it's, it is what it is. And it's right. it's... It's not a 10 or a 1, it's a straight 5. This is the first one in a while where I genuinely was excited to talk about it, had stuff to talk about, and we and for the length of time that we talked, we actually talked about the book and not, like, other bullshit. Right. You know, I did, I did not go into a tangent about something utterly unrelated. Stay on target. Stay yep. on target. I did not start uh, thinking about my dick. <laughs> oh, man. The, the Kaiju Score Volume 2, titled Steal from the Gods... Yeah, four issues. Michelle's back. She has her own crew, and she's making her own rules. Unfortunately, her tendency for getting into hot water still remains, and her involvement in that now infamous job in Florida, known as the Kaiju Score, is haunting her in many different ways. It's about to put her on a collision course with a new job, new characters, and, of course, new monsters. The second volume of the critically acclaimed best-selling Kaiju Score optioned by Sony Pictures, is here. Just like last time, not everyone will get out alive. Oh, well, I guess nice little pitch there. Four issues, I guess they all dropped. So yep. maybe we'll have to come back to this just to see if they can follow it up. It is the same creative team. James Patrick and Rem Brew are on this one. Uh, it, it, I'm really curious if they can follow it up well. 
because this one was like, I feel like I, I wonder if James has been sitting on this for a while and just been like, mm-hmm. man, I got this great idea and had all this time to really flesh things out. It hits a lot of people are really impressed with it. So this book really got a lot of discussion, a lot of word of mouth going around. A lot of people were picking it up and a lot of people were enjoying it. I'm sure that James had all this time to kind of flesh things out. And then with it skyrocketing in popularity, he was probably pressed to kind of follow it up. With that said, do you have any final thoughts on Kaiju score? I loved it. I The first time I read it, I, I, I think I was telling you, I think I like got into like a fight with Melissa that night and not in a good like, headspace. I was, yeah, it was not. And so I wasn't really focused on it. And I'm halfway through the book and I, I don't know what it is I'm reading anymore. And I'm lost. And I think that's when I was like, and then, and then I think we were supposed to review it and I'm like, I'm never going to get this done in time. I don't even know what this is about. This is not going to be a good review. Let's not do this now. So that's why we ended up rescheduling until now. I'm so glad we did because when yeah. I, I, I was, I was able to read it, digest it, think about it and come to the review with stuff to say. It's like I said, I'm, I haven't been reading a lot of comic books. It's one of the things I want to get back to. It's one of the, actually, I said that to Melissa today. I was like, you know, I spent so much time over the past couple of months focused on kind of <laughs> rebuilding, making, creating a social life outside of podcasting that I neglected like everything else that makes me me. And one of those things was I have a love of reading. You know, I used to read novels, um, science fiction and fantasy. I used to read nonfiction. Um, and then I got married and became stupid and I started reading comics. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was, but I mean, I was like for a while there, I was reading a comic a week and then just everything kind of went, went to pieces on me. I'll tell you my, my final word on this. Kaiju score is so good. It reignited my love of reading comics again. To the point where I want to make sure I keep going back to reading it again because I've missed feeling like myself and myself read comics, among other things. Glowing review. Glowing review. Well, I guarantee you. I was not thinking with my dick on this one. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to let James know. I'll probably see him at a convention, I'm sure, around. Listen, I got a buddy of mine, read your book, was not thinking about his dick. (laughs) Read your book. Please make sure that's exactly how you tell it to him. <laughs> so, so I have a friend. He's always thinking with his dick. Not this time, pal. Nope. Nope. So the letterer on this book is Dave Sharp. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, his bio reads, Dave grew up a huge metalhead. Now his fucking picture is him with a guitar. Dave grew up a huge metalhead living on Long mm-hmm. Island, New York. Oh, uh, my, my home place, Strong Island. All right. While, summer, while spending summers in Tallahassee, Florida... After reading Micronauts and many other comics, Dave knew he had to have oh, a career somebody in the call business. Chris Bailey. <laughs> right, no shit. Dave knew he had to have a career in, in the business. Upon graduating from Joe Kubert School, the Joe Kubert School in 1990, he went on to work at Marvel Comics as an in-house letterer, eventually running the lettering department in the late 90s and early 2000s. Over the years, Dave has lettered hundreds of comics, such as Spider-Girl, Exiles, She-Hulk, and the Defenders for Marvel, and Green Lantern, Harley Quinn, Sinestro, and Batgirl for DC Comics. Dave now works on both Exo Man of War and Faith for Valiant Comics, in addition to his lettering duties on several after shock titles dave also plays bass and is way more approachable than he looks so, oh, right. uh, anyway that's pretty neat uh dave sharp he's big metalhead we'll have to we'll have to hit him up on at dave l sharp on twitter and say hey bro hey bro all right well hey i had a good time you had a good time this has been kaiju score four issue series coming out of aftershock comics we'll be coming back together here pretty soon mark and i are going to be discussing our thoughts on the new lieutenants of metal keeping with that metal theme there so check us out there that'll be happening at some point here in the future for 
the Source Material Comics podcast. So for Mark Radlich, I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Radlich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.